You know, last week we were reminded and kind of challenged a little bit of what it truly means to follow Jesus. You know, making that whole life commitment. It's not just a, an emotional reaction, but really, truly following him. And uh, we, we ended last week as his disciples followed him into a boat and began to cross the lake, right? On his way to free two violent men that no one could bind. Except the reality was they were entirely bound. They were, were demon-possessed. People tried to bind them up with chains, but they just couldn't. They were ostracized from, from the people. And it was interesting because Jesus left the needs of the crowds. He turned away from people that said they would give everything to follow him because he had an assignment of the Father. Not for crowds and crowds and crowds of people, but for two individual men. And it reminds us that there is no better place to be than right in the center of our Father's will for our lives. We learned that, that dynamic that there's no safer place to be. <laughs> that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be trouble and that the storms of life aren't going to rise up. But when you know where you're called to, you can rebuke all that opposition. You can rebuke those storms of life and have the peace of God. Jesus was sleeping in the middle of a storm that was causing waves to come up over the sides of the boat, threatening to sink it. He had peace because he knew where he was heading. And when you know where the Heavenly Father is taking you, you don't have to fear or fret because nothing can stand against you, right? Romans 8, nothing can stand against you. Sometimes we get so caught up, though, in trying to figure out that one big thing that is the will of God for our lives. You know, what is that one thing that I'm, I'm called to do or called to be? What is that one big thing in life that I'm supposed to do that we forget Life is far less about one big thing that we're called to do and more about just that next step of obedience. What is the next thing that God is calling you into? It may not seem big. It may not seem significant to us by any means. But to the heart of the Father, there is no more significant thing that we could do than just whatever that next thing is, whatever that next step is that he's calling us into. Um, you know, sometimes it could be as simple as just pushing someone's shopping cart back for them or uh, holding the door for them or, could you take me down just a hair? I feel like I'm booming and starting to feed back a little bit. Um, you know, it, it could be just sending a quick text message to somebody. Um, you know, giving them a quick phone call. You know, it may not seem that significant to us, but when we obediently do what the Father is calling us to do, it's incredibly significant. And in fact, it may not seem as, um, as, as life-changing as like raising the dead, you know, or, or healing the sick and seeing some big life-transforming event. But that quick text message could be just as life-transforming. You could be spiritually bringing somebody from death to life just with one word of encouragement. So don't ever look down on, on what you're being called to do. Um, what is that next thing? The, the will of God for our lives can be simplified as, as considering what is it that we're pursuing. That's what this morning's about, the pursuit. We know our great constitution here that we've been given the right to the pursuit of happiness. It's a fleeting pursuit, isn't it? You, you'll lose your life trying to pursue happiness because it's ever-changing, right? 
I don't know about you, but what makes me happy today isn't necessarily going to make me happy tomorrow. It just, you know, it's so subjective and, and, you know, relevant. But we see this picture from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that God is always pursuing us. God doesn't run away from sin as if though it's like, you know, his kryptonite to his Superman, you know, that's not what sin is to God. God pursued Adam and Eve in their sin and shame. In fact, he made a sacrifice to cover it up. And that's what God still does today. God's not running away from you because of your sin. If you're in sin, you're literally running away from him. You're the one that's running and hiding, just like Adam and Eve. God isn't running and hiding from you. He's not turning a deaf ear to you because he just can't stand hearing your voice because you're such a, such a sinner, right? You know, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Yeah, because, you know, you're just such a sinner here in this church. That's, that's, that's not what's happening. God is pursuing you. He loves you. He hates to see you suffering. He hurts to see you in pain. The heart of God is moved whenever he hears your cries. He's pursuing you. He, God is always speaking. He's always providing. He's always inviting us. Always. God never ceases to pursue us. In fact, the scriptures say that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would repent and be saved. That's the heart of God. God doesn't want anyone to suffer. He wants to give us a hope and a future. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want to send anyone to hell. But at the end of the day, he just honors our choice to receive him or to reject him. It's all that he does. He honors our choice that we make. God freely gives us all things. And not just us saints, but even while we were sinners, God gave everything for us. He gave his own son. And his, we, we always say it that way. And, and sometimes it just makes me cringe a little bit that God gave his own son like God made him do it. Jesus willingly submitted to the will of his father. Jesus gave his life. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He chose to give his life on the cross. That's how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, how much he wants nothing to separate us or to stand between us. In fact, the, the fact that we take a breath right now, the fact that we woke up this morning means that God has not given up on us. Every single one of those things is a gift of God. In fact, I love this in the New King James Version, Psalm 118, verse 24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is a day that the Lord has made. But what are we going to fill it up with? Will we choose to rejoice? Will we choose to be glad in it? Or are we going to fill it up with anger and bitterness and, you know? What do we fill it up with? Did I, did I hear some, some sinner sweating here this morning? I know I am, right? What do I choose to fill my day with? Do I fill it with worry and anxiety and how's this going to work out and what's going to happen next and, and oh Lord, you know. Do we choose, what do we choose to fill it with? Right? What do we choose to fill it with? Every day is like, it's, you know, we got to grab my, my red solo cup here, you know. Every day is like a red solo cup, but what are we going to fill it up with? Huh? We can proceed to party? There's joy in the Lord. No matter what's happening in your life, His joy is available. It's a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, at the end of Galatians 5, talking about the fruits of the Spirit, God's Word says that nothing 
can stop them. No law can be legislated against them. Nothing can stop your joy but you. You're the only one that can choose to fill this day up with joy or to fill it up with misery. We can't choose what happens to us in life, but we can choose how we're going to respond to it. Um, who was it? It was one of the great Charles preachers of the day, Charles Swindoll, I think, that said that life, he's convinced that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% our attitude in response to those things. Our attitude toward what happens to us in life. I can't choose what my wife's going to do and how she's going to treat me, but I can choose how I'm going to respond to it. As I always say in marriage counseling, it takes two to fight. If you choose not to fight back, that fight ceases pretty quickly. It's no fun to fight with somebody who just won't fight back. It just, it's no fun at all. But man, when you know the buttons to push, when you know the fuel to toss on, and don't we spouses love to push each other's buttons, right? I mean, come on. <sighs> Why do we make ourselves miserable? Why do we love misery? I don't know, but we do it, don't we? We set each other up for failure. I, you know, I mean, you just, you, you know somebody's strengths and weaknesses, and if you know someone's weaknesses, you know, uh, commitment and following through things they say they're going to do, don't give them a bigger responsibility than beat up on them when they don't do it, you know, just know and recognize what their strengths and weaknesses are. How much better would life be if in my relationships people only leaned on my strengths and didn't set me up for failure? You can be that person. You can be that encourager that gives tasks to people that they can actually accomplish, right? I always have this conversation with my kids, you know, whenever they complain about a chore, it's like, I wouldn't ask you to do it if you couldn't do it. I'm not an evil father. I'm not going to set you up for failure. You know, they, I can't. So yes, you can. I'm not going to ask you to do something you can't do. That's just mean, right? It's, yeah, all the time. And, and trash is tough to take out, isn't it? <laughs> tough. <laughs> Anyways, what are we going to choose to fill each day with? God is pursuing us, but what are we pursuing? What are we filling our lives up with? What are we pursuing? Yeah, Nate's convicted already. He's got the tissues out. It, it, it pierces the heart in a good way, right? Psalm 91, turn with me. Psalm 91. I should have told you this at the beginning. Psalm 91. I know Sharon wasn't bold and brave enough to take enough time to read through it. I'm going to read through the whole psalm. And y'all can leave in the middle of it if you want. It's all right. Because there's more after that. Good stuff. But this, I want us this morning, just pretend your mind is a dry erase board. And you're just wiping away everything that you think about God. Just wipe it away. Forget all those things. Let your theology go. Let all that doctrine go. I know it's a dangerous thing to do. A clean mind. This, this is what the Lord like Psalm 91. I want us to get this visual picture. I have a vivid imagination. I want you to imagine God being this. Psalm 91 says that whoever dwells, so this is a choice. I choose where to dwell, don't I? Every day when I fill up my life with something, that's what I'm dwelling on. <laughs> Some of us have been dwelling on things for decades, haven't we? We still haven't forgiven that person, still haven't let it go. Man, we just dwell on things. And what does it do? Does it hurt that other person? Heck no. They moved on in life. But what does it do to you? It's like a cancer that destroys you. And the longer you dwell on it, the more it grows in your life until you can't even be happy in life. 
You can't even find joy in life because your life is just full of this cancer that you've been dwelling on. I know that's hurting somebody in this room right now, but there's freedom here in this place. Jesus is the great physician. He removes cancer like nobody else does, right? Whew. Whoever dwells, so this is a choice, if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, they will rest. Whew. I think there's a lot of people that are really hungry for some rest. And not just days off, because you take a vacation, and your vacation doesn't give you rest. You need a vacation from your vacation. Rest. True rest. The word in the Hebrew that we're talking about here, this shalom rest, this peace, it has nothing to do with what you're doing in life. It's not a Sabbath. It's not a break from work. This is a rest that you can have in the midst of your hectic daily lives. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. That, that peace, that rest. If we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God and the only one that I trust. Surely, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Surely, He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. Does that mean that you'll never encounter the fowler's snare? Does that mean the fiery darts of the enemy are never going to come your way? Does that mean the deadly pestilence isn't going to be all around you, right? As the seas raise up, corona cancer, all these things? No. But what God says here is that he will save you from those things. In verse 4 it says, get this picture, he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. The other day I took Megan to work and the only vehicle we had left was my motorcycle, which I love that bike, so much fun. And there was only a 40% chance of rain. <laughs> Y'all know how that went, right? I'll tell you what, there's nothing more fun than riding a motorcycle when a huge thunderstorm is coming in though. The energy in the air, the wind, I was having an awesome time and then all of a sudden it just hit. And what I told Megan is, just hug me. Stay close because you won't get hit with the rain. I will take it all on myself. That's the picture. There's a covering. There's a sheltering. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have storms in life, but there is someone who is sheltering you. There is someone who is covering you from those things. And God said he will do that. He will cover you with his feathers. Under your wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. In fact, a thousand may fall right there at your side. It's happening all around you. Thousand, ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it won't come near you. Whew. Now that's close. 10,000 people falling at my right hand? I can't even envision that. At my right hand, 10,000 are falling, but yet it doesn't come near me. Whew. Is this not an accurate word for the days that we're living in, where you turn on the news and everybody's fearing everything, right? 
Whew, 10,000 fall at your right hand, 1,000 fall at your side, but it won't come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Whew. Wow. But in verse 9, there's this big little word. And I'm a computer programmer by trade. This word, it is a very dividing word. I've heard this word over and over again. Marie shared it again this morning. There is a division coming. There's a separating from the wheat and the tares. There's a separating from the sheep and the goats. There's a lot of people sitting in the pews every Sunday, and they ain't, ain't Christians. They may call themselves Christians. They may call themselves by Jesus' name. But when it really comes down to it, who are they really? So many people have deceived themselves. But the Spirit of the Lord is a spirit of truth. And He is going to reveal truth. This word is so tiny, but it divides. And it takes you down one path or the other. There's, there's no, no fence to sit on and to teeter on. There may be multitudes in the valley of indecision, but when this little word comes, the decision's already been made. To not decide is to make a decision. And that little word here that verse 9 starts with, all these promises are conditional. And that little tiny huge word is if. If. We quote it often. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. If, 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 if. And this is what he says in verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge. And many people say it. Many people say the Lord's my banner. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my savior. He's my homie. You know, me and Jesus. They say it. But then there's this other little programming word. I think I'm a programmer by trade by both, you know. I, I debug lives with the word of God, you know, and, and I debug computer code of computers. So if you say the Lord is my refuge and there's two conditions to this promise. I got to say it and you make the most high your dwelling if you do both. If you say it and you do it. Don't just hear the word and deceive yourselves. There are so many deceived in the body of Christ because they're not really in the body of Christ. They just think they are. So many deceived. Don't be deceived. Know who you are. Know where you stand. Know that if today some wicked nation were to invade the country and they just ask, you know, do you follow, is, you know, are you saved? Do you follow Jesus? And your head's taken off, your hands are taken off. If they do it, what would you say? What would you do? It's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now. What would we do? If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, there's a positioning there. I make him my dwelling. I keep in step with the Spirit. Where If he goes to the left, I go to the left. If he goes to the right, I go to the right. If we do these things, here's these awesome promises. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent or your home. <laughs> He will command his angels concerning you. He will personally command the angelic host to come near you and to guard you in all your ways. Whew. Angels guarding me in all my ways. I keep those angels busy on that bike. It's fun. And I, I've always got Donnie if, if things fall through, you know. If you follow me on Facebook, you, you've seen that it's not smart to wear shorts on a bike and, for so many reasons, but the, the bee, that wasn't fun. If y'all saw me grabbing my crotch and stuff going down the highway, 
David just, it was not fun. Bees up shorts on a motorcycle, just, it's a bad combination. Especially the stinging kind. I, I still feel it, you know. <laughs> so the reason I believe the Lord lets those pains and those stings in our life is to give us wisdom. <laughs> he doesn't want to harm you. He wants to give you wisdom. So when life is stinging, and when you're like, this is really uncomfortable, what the heck am I supposed to do? Maybe I should wear pants, you know? If the Lord's making you uncomfortable, and he's letting you feel the sting, it's not his wrath. It's not his condemnation for judgment. Trust me, if God poured out his wrath for your sin, you'd be burning in hell right now with no chance of salvation. He's not pouring out his wrath. He's disciplining you because he loves you. He's trying to redirect you. He's trying to save your life, not destroy it. He's trying to give you an abundance of life, not steal away from it. If we make him our dwelling. It says that they will lift you up with their hands. Those angels, those angelicos, they will lift you up with their hands so that you won't even strike your foot against a stone. Remember, Satan used this word. He quoted this word in Matthew uh, 4's temptation to Jesus. Does that mean we should uh, put them to the test? No. But while you're living life, while your heart desires to be obedient to the Lord, they'll watch over you and protect you. Isn't that awesome? You've got the angelic host on your side. And he goes on and he says, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion. You will destroy the serpent. Yeah. There's some power and authority that you got over the devil. You can't say the devil made me do it anymore. You chose to do it. You know what you were supposed to choose to do instead? Stomp the head of that thing. Stomp the head of that serpent. Don't run away from it like a sissy scared of it. Anybody afraid of snakes? Anybody got Indiana Jones syndrome? Yeah. Be afraid of that thing. Stomp its head, you know? Don't be like Megan. She picks them up and plays with them. Hey, this is funny. <laughs> Stomp it. But you know what I'm saying? When the enemy comes after you, You've got the power, the weapons to demolish every stronghold of the enemy. we got no excuse. We're victors. We tread on the lion and the cobra. We trample the lion and the serpent. Why in verse 14? Because he loves me. It's not because I've lived a good, perfect life. It's not because I'm sinless. Ask my wife and kids. I'm not sinless. Why can we do all these things? has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with his love toward you. It's because he loves you. That's why he empowers you to do all these things. That's why he doesn't give up on you. That's why he gives you day after day after day to choose what to fill it with. Because he loves me, says the Lord. That's the question. The Lord loves you with an unfailing love. But do we love him because it says in verse 14 that if we love him i'll rescue him i'll protect him because he acknowledges my name in fact he'll call on me and i will answer him this is the lord speaking he will call on me i'll answer him i'll be with him in trouble i'll deliver him i will honor him with long life i will satisfy him 
I will show him my salvation. The Lord has promised all these things if we just make him our shelter, if we just stay under his covering. You know, and it's not that we don't face the same troubles of life that everyone else faces. All through this psalm, it says we're going to face them, we're going to deal with them. I mean, why else would he say he'll call on me in times of trouble if we ain't never going to get in trouble, right? You will face troubles. You will face difficulties. But the Lord will be there. It's that we have a shelter in the midst of all those things. Think, for example, we could all be in the same park. You're out there having a fun day in the park, and all of a sudden this flash storm comes, you know? And it is just downpouring. And you and all these other people that are in the park, that you're the same as them. The only difference is you have chosen to go running under the shelter, right? You have chose to go running in the shelter. There's a pavilion nearby, and you ran under it. You're still in the same storm. The difference is you have a covering. You have a protector. You have a guardian. It doesn't touch you. You see it happening, and you see all those fools running around trying to find shelter. What should we be doing? Should we be like, well, no dust, sinner, you're going to hell. <laughs> or should our heart break for them? Be like, hey, over here. Come on, get out of that rain. There's shelter, there's protection, right? You don't have to be soaked. It rains on the just and on the unjust, on the righteous and on the unrighteous. The difference is the just and the righteous, they got an umbrella. <laughs> See the only difference? We got an umbrella. And <laughs> the funny thing was, once I got Megan up to the restaurant where she works, um, you know, a bunch of people came in, and I was just waiting out the storm, and they were all asking, is that your bike out there? You know, I'm like, yeah. And they're like, don't you have any rain gear? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's out there on the bike. He's <laughs> God's like, not doing you much good, is it? And I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> I had rain gear in my saddlebag, but that didn't do me any good when I'm cruising down the road in the middle of that storm. And man, do those raindrops sting, you know? You can say the Lord is my shelter, and you can have it, but what good does it do you if you don't apply it? You can say you got power and authority in the name of Jesus, but if you never apply it, then you're no different than those out in the world. You're walking around swinging your umbrella, soaked and saturated by the storm of life, because you won't use it. You won't walk in it, right? It's a choice. We don't just listen to the word, we live it out. In Matthew 23, Jesus calls out these seven woes against the leaders of God's people. He calls out their hypocrisy. And I mean, man, he gives it to them. He calls them all kinds of names. He lets them have it. He, he uses some bold language like broods of vipers, children of hell, blind fools, whitewashed tombs, murderers, slanderers, and more. He just goes on. He lets them have it. And he says, woe to you. Man, you go out and make disciples, you make them twice the sons of hell as you are. He really lets them have it. Matthew chapter 23. He is angry. He is frustrated. And then he sums up his rant with why he's upset. And he says here in verse 37, he ends this rant and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, you who stone those who sent you, how often... I have longed 
to gather your children together. Like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you just weren't willing. He's angry, not at his children. He's angry just about the choices they're making. And as a father, you know that. You let your kid have, you know. It's not because you don't love them. It's because you, you do love them. And there's better things for them. They're making bad choices. And they're leading other people down that wrong path. You're actually angry because you love them, because you care. But you see, Psalm 91, Jesus gives this awesome picture again of the heart of the Father. How long I have wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. God wants to be their protector. But here's the thing, they weren't willing. God doesn't force it. God pursued them, but they weren't willing to pursue him. If you've ever seen a mother hen with the chicks out in the rain, it's a really cool picture. I should have put a video up this morning of it. It's, you know, she chases them down, but man, if there's that one stubborn one that just keeps popping out and running out there because it's having fun, nothing she can do. She can pursue him day and night, and it's not going to work. It's a relationship. Relationships don't work one way. Relationships only work bidirectionally. He always, his covenant is always yes and amen on his part. His promises are always true. But we got to do our part too. If we do our part, God will faithfully do his part, right? Just that awesome picture of God's heart. He wants to be our refuge. He wants to be our shelter, our fortress, our provider, our protector, our guard, our shield, our salvation. All those things from Psalm 91. He wants to be our everything. He wants to provide good things to us. But that's if we choose to position ourselves under his covering as a child of God. Not as a prophet or a preacher or a helper or an administrator. Not about what you do, but just who you are. You're a child of God. And that's the channel through which you receive every promise. And God's invitation, it's open. His invitation's open. It's available to anyone willing to accept it. Not just to saints, but sinners alike, right? We're going to end here on Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. It said this, Jesus replied, he's, he's dealing with this crowd of people, these Pharisees, and it's just, he's always just coming up against their hard-heartedness and their hard-headedness. <laughs> And the Lord knows he's dealt with some of mine too. Luke chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus replied to them. And he said, you know, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. He invited all kinds of people. And at the end of the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. Everybody knows those who have thrown a party. You know, there's a lot of preparation that goes ahead of time, but the banquet's ready. All right, everybody come on in. It's party time, right? Got a red solo cup. What are we going to fill it up with? Every day this is the day the Lord has made. So it's party time. In verse 18 it says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, Well, I just bought a field. I, I got to go and see it. Please, please excuse me. I'm so sorry. Just please excuse me this time. I, I got to go see what this field's like. 
Another said, I just bought five, uh, five yoke of oxen. And I'm not a farmer. I don't know how many yoke that is. Is that two per? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, he bought five yoke of oxen. And he's like, I'm on my way to go try them out. Please, please excuse me. Please forgive me. I, I, just, I, I just need to go do this one thing. Still another said, I just got married. I, I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. I think that makes you feel when you throw a party and no one shows up. You paid all this money, you spent all this time preparing, and not a single person shows up. And they all have legitimate excuses. There's all legitimate reasons. But how does that make the person feel? Irate, right? The owner became very angry. He ordered the servant, well, go out quickly. And go into the streets, the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Bring them all in. I mean, the food's ready. It's getting cold here. You know, just find anybody and invite them in. Sir, the servant said, what you order has been done, but there's still room. I was in a 90s Christian. I, I came to know Christ when I was 13, and audio adrenaline was big then. You know, Father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's our father's house. There's still room. He even brought in all the lame people that never get invited to any parties, right? That, uh, sorry, that was a lame joke, but anyways. Brought them all in, and there's still room. So he said, okay, go out. Go to the roads. Go out the country lanes. Compel them to come in. I want my house full. I tell you, though, not a single one of those who were invited, will even get a taste of my banquet. Whew. You know, Paul was concerned. When I look at the Apostle Paul and the great exploits that he did for the Lord, my life doesn't even begin to compare to what that man has done. And yet that man said that he was concerned that while he was running the race, he would disqualify himself. There's an open invitation for everyone to be saved. It was originally just for the Jews. Originally, salvation came to God's own chosen people first. But the capstone that the Lord had chosen, the builders rejected. They crucified him on the cross. And so that opened up the, the doorway, which was evidenced by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, because Gentiles were filled with the Spirit and were speaking in tongues. And, and so they were like, whoa, <laughs> apparently God's saving even these Gentile people now. Which I praise God because I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew by birth. Salvation is open to everyone. So go out there, compel them to come in. There is a shelter, there is a covering. They don't have to fear the things of this world. But we are the voices, we are the servants. The Lord has prepared everything. There's a great banquet. There's tons of room, tons of food. And he wants a full house. But we are the ones to compel people to receive the invitation to Jesus' salvation. Go out the country lanes. Go grab all those people who everyone else rejects and invite them in. God will accept them right where they're at. And he'll love them so much that he'll heal them and restore them and deliver them. And man, he'll make their lives so much better if they just come. 
So what are we going to fill our days with? What are we going to pursue every day? Because God never stops pursuing us. Will we take the time to simply stop and respond? Stop and respond and begin pursuing him. Lord, what do you want to do today? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's only his that are going to succeed. So why fill your day with failures? Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to accomplish today? This is the day you have made. So what am I going to fill it with? I'm going to fill it with joy, with gladness, with praise. I'm going to choose to do that. Because this is the day the Lord has made. What else should I do with it? Why should I be miserable? Why should I keep heaping on condemnation and shame? And why should I keep carrying around this depression and oppression? Why not just enjoy the presence of God? Why not just enjoy his presence? Will we dine at his banquet? Will we taste and see that he is good? Or will we instead just keep ourselves so busy that we just keep excusing ourselves from his table? excusing ourselves for not showing up, excusing ourselves for being too busy for him. We got more important things to do. Let's instead choose to be ones who just joyfully accept his open invitation every day to feast on his presence, to have our desires satisfied with good things that bring life and blessings. Let's be a people who choose to live under the sheltering protection of God's refuge, under the covering of his feathers and his wings. That even though we face the same troubles as everyone else does, this recession is coming and it's coming, but we have the Lord who provides through it all. You know, never once did that pantry run bare over there. Never once did someone get turned away and say, sorry, we ain't got no food. And all that they have to go off of is the generosity of God's people who pick up a jar of peanut butter and toss it at the church. That's all they got to work off of. Yet God has never let this community go hungry. How good is our God? A thousand may be falling at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. You don't have to fear it. He will provide for you. He will cover you. I just... There's not enough words to describe it. I wanted to describe how good he is, and I just can't. I don't feel like these are, it's powerful enough. So just get out there and taste and see, right? All right, so let's pray. So Jesus, first of all, forgive us for getting so anxiety-filled and worried and depressed by everything that's happening around us. Forgive us for trying to figure things out on our own, Lord. When all the while... You're right there with us. Your presence has filled our lives. You are crying out your wisdom day and night. You have the answers. You have the solutions. You are our provider of everything. So Lord, right now we just trade in all of those things that are not of you. All those fears that are weighing us down and tripping us up. Every thief of peace. Every thief of peace, Lord. We just ask you to come and to stomp on its neck. 
Destroy the destroyer, Lord, right now. Every demon that is picking and nagging and stealing and destroying and that just enough is never enough. We just, we just stomp on its neck right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask for your perfect peace. That peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts, guard our minds. So that although we see the troubles of the world, we won't fear them. We won't fret them. We will trust in you with a steadfast heart and a committed spirit. We will say that you are our shelter and we will position ourselves and make you our covering. We will live by your word, not by our opinions. Mm. All we are is yours. And we thank you for receiving us into your kingdom and snatching us from out of this world. In your name, amen. Amen. All right.